0: It should be obvious that we cannot solve a crisis with the same methods that got us into it in the first place. This is a last chance saloon, because if we don't really take the decisions that are vital now, it's going to be almost impossible to catch up. We will end the moratorium on extracting our huge reserves of shale, which could get gas flowing as soon as six months
1: will give way. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero Carbon East. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbon, it's a series for Fool's Gold. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment based podcast. If it's green, it's in. It's been a Interesting week of particular interest because, of course, COP27 is underway in Egypt and that has coincided with multiple protests in this country from Just Stop Oil. There's a lot to tuck into today. Let's speak to our man hanging by his ankles from a gantry on the M25. He is the green entrepreneur and environmentalist, Dale Vince. Dale, morning to you. Yeah, morning, Ian.
0: I should say you're not really on the M25, but you did kind of support the actions. Uh, absolutely. Yes. And I did send them guys some uh, more money this week, actually, because uh, they'd run out. Uh, you know, they were struggling to keep the campaign going. I think it's super important, you know, even though they're being disruptive or maybe because they're being disruptive. I mean, that's a key part of uh, protest, right? If yeah. you're not being disruptive, then um, you aren't getting noticed, not being listened to. So, yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think they're doing a great job. Loads of them are arrested this week and a whole bunch of journalists arrested, too. And even the uh, kind of organizers of the movement got wrapped up into that.
1: It's kind of weird. is I mean, if you're a just stop oil protester and you get arrested, that goes with the territory. And most of them are, are, are fairly relaxed about that. It almost kind of feeds into some of the point they're making. But when you start arresting journalists, something's gone royally wrong, right? Yeah, you wonder what country you're living in, right? Yeah. I mean, the whole point is the journalists are there to highlight what's happening, and that could be positive from a Just Stop Oil perspective. It can be interesting for others just looking on. It might be infuriating to some people, but the, the, the whole point of living in a free world with a free press – uh, when you show your press card which is an official document to the police and say this is what I've
0: got you don't expect a pair of cuffs to go on the wrist <laughs> yeah except I've been there before it does happen the cops do arrest journalists and, and actually beat journalists as well uh, in with the crowd because actually they want to suppress the news sometimes they don't want it being reported what is actually happening I don't know if that happened in this case or it's just a mistake but I've seen it happen before yeah I mean it's extraordinary times isn't it one of the things that's interesting about this and
1: a, a couple of listeners on the radio picked up on this and they said why they were following COP27 and many of the speakers and although the UN chief said you know we're on a path to climate hell with our foot on the accelerator very firm words most of the world leaders that you see stand up whether it's our man, whether it's Macron, whoever it happens to be, Trudeau from Canada did, didn't go because I think he's too busy producing more barrels of oil than they've ever done in Canada. But that's another story. But most of those
0: speakers don't go as far as just stop oil in what they're saying. Well, I mean, they don't, do they? I mean, most. if you look at what Rishi Sunak said, you know, it was, a, it was a grand piece of rhetoric about how he's so hopeful we can come together, create this great green, you know, revolution, whatever it is. It's all just empty words. Because, you know, behind that, there's no action. This is a man that still insists that we ban onshore wind, hasn't reversed Liz Truss's ban on solar yet. Um, you know, is issuing new licenses to drill for gas and oil in the North Sea. And, you know, the, the actions don't match the words at all. What we're getting from COP 27, Pop 27, I should say, is just a bunch <laughs> of fine words from politicians. But what's missing is the action. We know we have to do stuff. We don't need any more, uh, great speeches. We need great action. Yeah.
1: Interesting little tangent that I uncovered yesterday was that there were 636, 636 fossil fuel lobbyists at COP 27. And yesterday two CEOs from fossil fuel firms spoke at the conference. Now I'm, I'm kind of more relaxed about the latter actually to, you know, this is about seeing where people are at, what their intentions are, where they're going. They're in the conversation. But the 600 lobbyists? Yeah, that's a
0: worry, right? What are they doing there?
1: It's a 25% increase on the amount that went to Glasgow, by the way.
0: (laughs) But, I mean, clearly they're there to argue for a long, drawn-out transition, to say that gas, for example, has got a role to play as we pivot to green energy, blah, blah, blah. We've heard it all before. They are there to argue for the interests of the oil and gas companies. Uh, they're not there to take part in this rapid move that we need to have towards green energy and, and uh, you know, 1.5 degree if we can possibly achieve it. They're there for the opposite. Uh, you know, it's, it's a bizarre thing and it shouldn't be allowed, should it? Uh, That's what I think. I mean, what are they doing there? They're, they're there to hold things back. I've, I've seen this before at COPs, COP 4, I think it was, in Buenos Aires. Together with uh, Greenpeace, we infiltrated a meeting in the morning of the oil and gas and car companies. And they basically sat around a big table. We sat there with them and they divided up the agenda for the day and they all went off to disrupt. Every every meeting they could that was trying to create progress towards targets and agreements and stuff like that. It was their simple agenda, right? You go there and, and disrupt that, and 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 so on and so on. This is the mo of of the uh, the big polluters on our planet. Slow down progress. I mean, I could get, I, I facilitated
1: big conferences before, so I could I could get it if you said right on the panel today are blah 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 and the CEO of Shell because then you could hold the bloke to account and you could have a debate and you could insist and agitate as to why it, they're either surplus to requirements or not doing enough to move away from what they've been doing. That that makes a bit of sense. But when you're given a, a platform almost, you think, hang on, that's like suggesting there are alternate views here. And this is an area where we should be, I would have
0: thought very careful about entertaining alternate views to the science. Yeah, Uh, for me the worry is the lobbyists because they move in the shadows. Um, I I think you know somebody on a panel, you can say, "Well, that's a bloke from Shell. He's going to say that, isn't he?" Do you know what I mean? You you at least can see what's going on; it's visible. Um, But I, I think the big oil and gas companies could have a role to play; should have a role to play. You know, they're the guys that that need to give up the old way of doing stuff and, and you know get cracking with the new way, if they only would. The, the problem is they see too much value in their reserves of oil and gas, and they desperately want to realize that value. And that's at odds with what we need as a species on the planet. Yeah. Sticking with COP, Boris
1: Johnson. Um, there was a, a lot of noise at the beginning of the week. I think Ed Miliband raised it about reparations being paid to, to poorer countries. And Johnson has come out and said that the UK simply can't afford to pay that.
0: (laughs) Yes, he has. And when I saw that, I thought, well, he should just go and tap up his mate, Lord Brownlow, right? The guy that paid for his wallpaper. He'll pay for anything Johnson wants. That's a very good point, actually. Yeah. Get the noble Lord to pay for this shit. (laughs) But look, seriously, um, I don't agree with Johnson that we can't afford it. But you and I, we spoke about this on the radio. I don't think it makes sense for us to pay a trillion pounds in reparations now for the damage that we've caused while we're still causing damage. If we can find that sum of money, we should spend it stopping the damage, getting to net zero. And once we've done that, then we should look at what we can do to repair the damage that we've done for other countries. But it doesn't make sense to do that now while we're Mm. still polluting. Yeah, that makes sense. Anna on Twitter says, Dale, what planet do you think Julia Hartley
1: Brewer is on? Uh, This this is reference an interview you did with Julia on talk TV
0: this week. Yeah, I honestly don't know. What happened? I saw some of it. I didn't. Did I miss the money shot? Well, I don't think there was one. You know, she was quite ferocious, I would say quite on it. Basically, it was an anti climate change agenda. I mean, she said there's nothing in the IPCC to worry about. Basically, there's no warning that the planet will become unlivable. And um I said to her, so the whole COP27 thing, that is just a, a charade, a waste of time. You know, she said, yeah. And I was like, wow. I, I was so surprised because normally we have a good chat about stuff. Usually we're bashing the government. Maybe that's what it is. Um, but she came prepared for this one and uh, and threw a lot at me. It was a bit like my first time I met Mike Graham on the radio where he just wouldn't let me get a word and she talked over me and, uh, you know, denied all kinds of stuff. Like the, the people are actually dying from the climate crisis right now. We talked about Just Stop Oil and she said how – awful it was basically that uh, there'd been a couple of lorries collide and a copper had fallen off his bike you know um and i said you know i get that but what these people are trying to do is prevent actual deaths people are dying around the world you know i quoted forty thousand figure she said that's not a real figure Uh, this is across europe Um, i saw this yeah and uh, you know i went away and just dug into my my you know my my references and it's a real figure, you know, and 40,000 people did die in the UK in that one week of the heat wave. About 4,000 of them were from the heat wave. Uh, but when you add it up across Europe, it's about 40,000. So I don't know. I mean, she was on one. That's all I want to say. And, but I'll go back on the show again. But maybe next time I'll be a little bit more prepared for hostility. I heard you're going out for dinner next weekend, is that true? <laughs> don't, don't. Maybe I'll I haven't heard dinner. that, but, you know, my PA books things and forgets to tell me sometimes, so it could be in yeah. the diary. You're off to the Wimpy with Hartley Brewer. What a oh. what, what, what an evening that would be. <laughs> the wimpy.
1: Oh um, study identifies sites for new small-scale nuclear reactors. What's your
0: reaction to that? Because I know you've been very lukewarm on nuclear anyway. Yeah, I love this one because I read the story and when we've heard this before from Rolls-Royce that they want to uh, stick a bunch of nukes around the country, mini nukes, they think it's a great idea. So I read the story and basically Rolls-Royce have put out a press announcement saying we've uh, we've done a study for where the best places are to put nuclear reactors in Britain and the answer we came up with is the place where they've always been. And I'm like, "Wow, amazing. That's not <laughs> rocket science." I could have told you that. <laughs> So so the story goes on, just to say that uh, mini nukes are the answer, we'll save loads of money, uh, create loads of jobs, 40,000 jobs, I think it was, coincidentally, that figure. They didn't say what the nukes are going to cost, how big each one is, how many jobs per, per reactor they're hoping to do it by 2030, you know, get the, get the first ones in the ground. I know the whole thing was a non-story. It was, just, it was simply like, oh, you know, the best place to put uh, these new little reactors is where the old big reactors were. And it's like, brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. The thing they don't address is this thing about economies of scale. We know that it works, right? How can like 50 small reactors be more economic than one big one? Yeah. I mean, it never works that way. You know, you've got 50 grid connections, 50 infrastructures you've got, and, and the waste, they didn't even mention the waste. Where's that going to go? That is, uh, that, 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 it's extraordinary thinking. And somebody wrote that press release as well with a straight <laughs> face. <laughs> yeah. I loved
1: it. This, uh, this comes from Paris. I read the other day that gas prices are likely to reduce over
0: the next couple of years. Do you think this might be the case? I do. I think that this energy crisis will unwind over the next couple of years. I mean, it does depend on, uh, you know, stuff beyond our knowledge or control. Um, But uh, I do. I think it will. Is
1: the cost of gas coming down now? Because I keep hearing stories of, you know, oil is cheaper and things like that. And therefore, it should all have a knock on effect. Why are things getting more expensive when
0: the oil companies are making more money? So there's something in the equation that doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, the oil companies are making a stupid sum of money, aren't they? And still not subject to a proper windfall tax. But we can hope when uh, when we get the first budget from our third government of the summer, yep. that, uh, you know, there's something meaningful in there. Uh, the, the short-term price of gas and energy is down in the markets, like, you know, the next month, two months, that kind of stuff. But if you look longer out, over a year and two, it's not really softened very much at all yet. There's still, like, fear in the market about yeah. what's going to happen. Got it. Uh, what about this? Daily Mail says vegan
1: diet is a con. Well, I mean, if it's in the Daily Mail and they're saying it's a con, then they they must be onto something. You better start chomping up on the old chopsdale. It's like Trump saying
0: fake news, isn't it? That's it's in that place, isn't it? That's like uh, that's like shadow projection on steroids. The Daily yeah. Mail says somebody else is talking shit. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love it. I mean, what's uh, the thinking here?
0: Well, I'm not sure there is thinking. I think they just wanted to take a swipe at veganism. I read the article and they're basically saying that, uh, vegans are lacking calcium and therefore they're more likely to get broken bones. And, um, they did, they did link to a study, uh, done by Oxford Uni, I think mm. it was. And I did have a quick read of it, but in the body of the article, they, they just like, distort and color the argument completely they basically say that you know the, the top sources of calcium for meat eaters are dairy you know yogurt milk cheese that kind sure. of stuff but if you're a vegan uh, you have to eat green stuff you have to eat an inordinate amount of like lettuce or i don't know broccoli or something like that overlooking the simple fact that soya milk and vegan cheese and tofu have exactly as much calcium if not more yep. than the dairy equivalents so I don't understand why they think the vegans can't have milk or cheese or yeah, tofu. Yeah, they didn't mention that. How long you been a vegan, Dale? Uh, Forty years. Well, how are your bones, by the way? No, they're no, not bad. Might no, have to I, get
1: you down the X-ray place to <laughs> check out <laughs> like, the density. Last time I broke one was in a bike accident. There you go. Not nothing to do with a pint of milk. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <Yes. laughs> it
0: was a it was a very funny article. I mean, and, and with. So full of anti-vegan color uh, and, and prejudicial language. It was, it was, well, it was the Daily Mail, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. People often say, I don't care what anybody says. There's something about humans that needs
1: meat. Just look at gorillas. It's like, hang on a sec. You just said something about, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just gorillas. look at gorillas. Well, gorillas, by the way, don't, I mean, they might eat meat. Aren't gorillas vegetarians?
0: Yeah. They're vegans. I mean, well, they don't
1: There eat- you go, you see. Yeah. Don't bring the monkey argument into this. It's <laughs> irrelevant. It relevant? Uh, this from Tavis on Twitter. Dale, a question for your great podcast. Does your green gas initiative capture the carbon that is released
0: from using the gas? No and yes. So obviously we don't go around people's homes, you know, like sucking up the carbon coming out of the, uh, you know, the cooker flue or something like that. Yeah. Um, but what happens is when the grass grows before we turn it into gas, it absorbs carbon. So we kind of we do that ahead of the game, if you know what I mean. So yeah. we suck carbon out of the atmosphere, make it into gas. Somebody burns the gas and carbon goes back into the atmosphere. So it's a, it's a cycle. And according to the Imperial uh, College report that we commissioned, our gas at the moment is about 90% lower carbon than North Sea gas. And they say with a few process tweaks, we can get to 99%. So it's virtually carbon-free uh, in that cycle. Got it. Question from Harriet on Facebook. We've already looked a little bit at
1: this territory, but here it is. Uh, She says, Do you believe uh, the behavior of just stop oil is the way forward? Because we do debate this. Are there, obviously, you've got, if you want to make a noise and you want to get noticed and you want to advance a message, you've got to do something that's going to Mm. achieve all of that. There's no point in sitting at home on a sofa just sending out some tweets. Simultaneously, there is a, certainly a discussion. It, could there be another way to get maximum impact without closing the world's biggest motorway?
0: <laughs> is that what it is? It can't be bigger than what they have in America. I think it's the biggest ring road in the world. Okay, nice. I think. Look, I mean, it's, it's a good question. I, I wouldn't say it's the way. Uh, or, uh, it's, I, I just think it's valid uh, in its own uh, terms. What they're doing is valid. As I was trying to say to to, to Julia, these people that are doing this, are simply frustrated that the government uh, are not even doing nothing. They're doing all of the wrong things. And we can see the climate crisis coming. And we're allowing these people to destroy the world, the big oil and gas companies, the big car companies, the big food companies. You know, what they do at the moment is legal, and and that's wrong. What can we do except get out onto the streets and say the law needs to change? And Julia Hartley Bury was like, "Oh, they can't call themselves uh, or compare themselves to the suffragettes and that kind of stuff." This was in her monologue at the start of our interview, yeah. and uh, and I think that's completely wrong, actually, because the suffragettes in their own time uh, were not um, well received. Right? Only only history has looked back at the suffragettes and said those people did a good thing, and I think it's the same with Just Stop Oil. I think you're right. Uh, time for this.
1: It is, of course, a fracking corner. Um, back to our friend Quadrilla, who uh, seems to be the gift that keeps on giving because uh, this is the man that just told the British government, doesn't matter now because they've stopped it, but said, look, you know, fracking in the UK isn't really something that's going to work. Uh, so it didn't come from, you know, a bunch of, capitalist investors it came from the quadrilla man and now another guy
0: has said that the moratorium is a betrayal yeah so this is the current boss of the company that owns quadrilla an australian company and it sounds like a lot of uh aussie whinging to me basically they they said they oh we raised 20 million dollars off the back of the of list trust lifting the moratorium now uh, rishi sunak shut it down and um oh you know what what an awful thing for us I haven't got a lot of sympathy for them. It just seems like a lot of whinging to me, you know, about uh, disappointment, right? They ho- they hope they had the chance to frack Britain and make a load of money out of us. Now they don't. But, you know, we have a flip-flopping government. Just get used yeah. to it, guys.
1: We're getting used to it. Well, as me old Nan always used to say about the quadrilla people, stick your drills up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and here's a question from Paul, who says, Thank God you're staying with Ecotricity. Is this a permanent thing, or will the time come to try to sell again? So what's going on here, Dale? You were selling, and now you're not selling.
0: Yeah, I announced that uh, April the 1st, I wanted to leave, find a new owner for Ecotricity, somebody that could take it on and, and do more with it than I could, and, and realise our pipeline, which is a you know, really big pipeline of renewable energy projects, and at the same time free myself to get involved in the next election. Uh, That looks like that won't come now until um, late 2024. The Tories are going to cling on to power, come what may, whatever... Whatever fool they need to throw into number ten in the meantime uh, to do that they will, but anyway, in the summer or all of the would be buyers ran away when Russia turned the gas off to europe, and I understand sure. that because the winter was suddenly looking quite uh, unpredictable, but at the same time i 'm kind of enjoying it again you know there's there 's never been a better time to be in green energy, energy is front and foremost of uh, really global affairs and and the biggest first change that we can and should make and uh, i'm kind of enjoying it again we're building solar and green gas projects and battery projects right now our very first green gas mill making gas from grass will go live in march next year yeah and um, i'm just getting on with it good work uh dale that is it for this episode have a
1: cracking week awesome cheers and see you later don't forget of course to follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically leave a review there too if you want to get in touch you can email your comments and questions to zerocarbonista at ecotristy.co.uk. Really important bit. Make sure you follow Dale on social media. Twitter.com slash Vince, Facebook.com slash Vince And on Insta and TikTok too. Zero Carbon East on.